0: Hi there, thanks for tuning in. Today we're talking a little bit about punishment. It's not a topic that I've ever covered directly on the podcast before because it's frankly not something that we've used very often in our house. Punishment is a way of decreasing unwanted behavior. And that's not to say that there's no unwanted behavior in my house by any means. So today I'm gonna share some examples of times when I've felt that punishment has been helpful. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for tuning in. This week, we are talking about punishment. Last week, I re-aired an episode on hitting, and we are going to build upon that episode. If you haven't listened to that episode, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 250 and hear that one out first. In that episode, I am talking about hitting, why it happens, how we can handle it, and why punishment is generally not one thing that I lean on first, or even second. Another episode that I'm gonna be referencing is the consequences episode, which was simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 266. That would also be a great episode to listen to in advance of this one. Today, I'm gonna get into the weeds of some principles from behavior psychology. However, if I have any behavior psychologists listening you'll probably also hear that I'm going to change some language to make it a little bit more parent friendly. If you pull out your old psychology textbooks from Psychology 101 you'll see that negative punishment and positive punishment are different things which should be separated from negative and positive reinforcement. I'm not here to teach you a university level course today. I think those terms can get really confusing so I'm going to try to talk through some of these things with examples. And I'm gonna simplify some of the terminology. I wanna repeat first and foremost that we don't use a lot of rewards and punishments or reinforcements and punishments in our home. We rely much more so on a positive parenting mindset. That means we use our relationship with our kids to build positive behavior. And we also recognize that our kids are a work in progress and they're always growing and making mistakes just like us. But it's pretty hard to move through parenting without encountering some tendency to pull at a reward chart or a timeout. And those things can be really useful when used appropriately. What I found is most of the time, parents are not using them appropriately. And when I say not appropriately, I don't necessarily mean in a hurtful or harmful way, although sometimes that might be the case. But often I think they're just using it in a way that doesn't work. So I wanna give you some examples today and some basic principles to help you make these things work a little bit better if you're going to use them and help you to decide if they might be appropriate or inappropriate based on your kids and their developmental level and the behaviors that you're seeing. This is, of course, never substitute for professional intervention and support. And the things I'm saying today may or may not resonate with you, and that's okay. Take it or leave it. If you're ever interested in talking these things through, I do do individual coaching. You can always reach out to me, danae at simplefamilies.com, and I offer parent and child therapy in the states that I'm licensed in. But this episode and any of these episodes are not a substitute for professional services and intervention. In episode 266, we talked about consequences, and consequences simply mean what comes next. There's a behavior, what comes next? Is it a lecture? Is it a timeout? Is it a reward? Is it a hug? Is it shame? Is it a threat? These are all examples of consequences. Sometimes the consequence is natural. So if you say something mean to a friend, they don't want to play with you the next day. That's a natural consequence. That means no adult intervened. It just happened naturally. And kids learn through that. They learn eventually, sometimes it takes multiple instances, that when you do something hurtful, it has an impact on people around you. And that impact could result in you being isolated, or you being in some way ostracized. Now, there are many opportunities for natural consequences, and they can help shape behavior in a positive way. And when we can let those natural consequences play out, they can be really helpful. But there are not always natural consequences available. If there isn't an obvious natural consequence, we can sometimes use a connected consequence. So your kid splashes all of the water outside of the bathtub. The consequence is they have to clean it up. That's just what comes next. It's not necessarily a reward or a punishment or anything. It's just what comes next. And I find that most of the time as we move through life, that's what we're doing with kids. It takes a lot of energy to quote unquote, give a punishment or give a reward. And usually if you've got a kid in the bathtub, you're trying to get them to bed and you want to expedite that process. So if you go down the route of, okay, you splashed all the water out of the bathtub, you're going to get a punishment. You need to go sit in timeout for five minutes. What's happened here is you feel like you did something. You feel like you handled it. But what really happened was your kid got to go sit for five minutes while you cleaned up the mess. So not only did this probably not work to deter future behavior, but it might even work in the opposite of what you had hoped. So just having the kid clean up the bathwater, that's a logical or a connected consequence. And that works better. Well, because it involves you understanding the impact you had, which was the mess, and fixing it. Now, it wasn't a natural consequence because you needed the adult to be there to be like, hey, you got to do the thing. You got to clean it up. A natural consequence would probably be you splashed all the bath water out, you got out of the bathtub, and then you slipped and fell. That would be a natural consequence. No one needed to intervene on that one. As parents, it's our job to keep our kids safe. So we can't always rely on natural consequences. Sometimes we do need to add our own in. But like I said, sometimes it's as simple as just making right on your mistakes understanding the impact of your actions as parents we have a job to keep kids safe and we also have a job to do some prevention if you have a kid that every single day splashes water outside of the bathtub you might need to be right there to give them reminders or you might need to switch them to a shower if your kid splashed all the water outside of the bathtub and you walked in it sounds like you've left a kid unattended which there are potentially other consequences of leaving a kid unattended in the bathtub. Of course, anytime you leave kids unattended around bodies of water, there's always a risk of drowning. I feel like I can't go without saying that, although I'm pretty sure everyone listening knows that. So we have to be really careful leaving kids unattended in a situation that they are not developmentally ready to handle. So in addition to ensuring appropriate consequences or what comes next for our kids, we can also try to be preventative to prevent the behavior from happening. Now, it's totally unreasonable to think we can prevent all challenging behaviors from happening. Unreasonable and not even helpful because we learn a lot through mistakes. We grow through mistakes. So kids are going to make mistakes and we're not here to prevent all of them. Now, up until this point in my children's lives, we really haven't used much punishment because most of the time when there's a behavior that you wanna decrease, you can flip flop it and try to increase the opposite. An example of this is, you know, I want to see less mean-spirited behavior. You can flip that and say, let's motivate or reinforce our kids for exhibiting acts of kindness. And in general, we should do that as much as possible. A rule of thumb for behavior modification is that if you're trying to decrease a behavior, you use punishment. If you're trying to increase a behavior, you use rewards or reinforcement. Now, when I say reinforcement, that might just be wow, that was so kind, or like, I noticed you being kind to your sibling. Just noticing and praising, that's very reinforcing. It doesn't have to be a piece of candy, although sometimes maybe it is. The reason that we try to use more reinforcement than punishment is because punishment doesn't teach. Punishment teaches us what not to do. So when a kid does something you don't like and you put them in timeout or you take away their screen time, whatever it is, You're basically telling them, I didn't like what you did, so stop that. And then the next time the behavior comes up, they don't know what they're supposed to do instead. So they go back to the same thing that happened the last time because they haven't learned new adaptive skills. So punishment tells kids what not to do. Now let's use an adult example to build some empathy here. You probably know it's not great to yell at your kids and maybe you've strived to yell at your kids less. I know that I have, but somehow it keeps happening. You have some other tools in your tool belt, like staying calm, using expansion and contraction to separate kids when things get challenging. You know kind of vaguely what you should be doing, but somehow you end up yelling, even though that's not the best way to handle things. But for whatever reason, that's what comes out. The same thing happens for kids. Even when they've learned better tools, time and time again, sometimes the more challenging behavior comes out. It's not just kids, it's adults too. This human stuff, it's really tricky. We're gonna pause for a two minute word from today's sponsors. The first sponsor for today is iHerb. iHerb offers the best curated selection of wellness products at the best value across a variety of categories, like supplements, nutrition, beauty, and baby. When it comes to your family, ingredients matter. The iHerb site is super easy to search. You can narrow it down by category, brand, ailment. If you want help with hair, skin, nails, kids' health, it's easy to find exactly what you need. Since I started weightlifting this year, I've been using aminoline amino acids, which I really like. And I'm so happy that iHerb carries them. And that's also where I get some protein powder for my husband. For a limited time, listeners can get an exclusive 22% off their entire order. Go to iHerb.com and use the promo code SIMPLE to get 22% off. That's I-H-E-R-B.com and use the promo code SIMPLE. I'm happy to have iHerb as a new sponsor on the podcast. Try them out. I think you're going to like it. Our next sponsor for today is EarthBreeze. If you're like me, you've probably been wondering why laundry detergent has to come in those massive, heavy plastic jugs. It's inconvenient, creates a lot of plastic waste. Unfortunately, there's a better way. EarthBreeze is a laundry detergent and it's just like dryer sheets. Except they go in the washing machine and they clean your clothes. It's a revolutionary liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. You don't have to measure, there's no mess, no heavy plastic jugs, you just toss the sheet in. We've been without a washer and dryer for almost two months due to some home renovations that we're working on, and I have never been more thankful than this lightweight, easy, mess-free alternative that's coming to the laundry mat with us. They offer flexible subscriptions that can be adjusted, paused, or canceled at any time. No contracts or fees. So switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now you can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com simple to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash simple for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash simple. Back to our episode for today. So in particular, in the early years, punishment can be pretty useless when kids don't know a better alternative. You're essentially telling them what you don't want them to do, but they don't know what to do instead. Now, as kids get older and they do know better alternatives, but they're struggling to use them that might be where some punishment comes in. Or at least we could try it out to see if it's effective. But here's the sticking point that I found we were landing at. Even when you're increasing kindness, which there's plenty of kindness in our house, there's still conflict, normal bickering and conflict. And when that bickering and conflict escalates, people get hurt. So those escalation behaviors In our house, name calling or physically hurting can be decreased through punishment. Very direct, targeted forms of punishment. I want to put in the disclaimer that this is working now because my kids are older and I am aware of their skill set, aware of what they can handle. I'm going to give you some examples. A few months ago, we were dealing with some name calling behavior with one of our kids. My kids don't know a lot of really hurtful words yet, but... It was one of those things, like, I wanna nip this in the bud before they learn those hurtful words because it could get really bad really fast. Um, So it kind of started out with one child calling other people in the family names they didn't like, right? So this child was calling me Renee, which is not my name. I kind of thought this was funny at first because it was clearly an effort to get under my skin to think that they were like just changing my name slightly. So at first, I thought it was funny, but then I'm like, okay, this really isn't funny anymore, and I had to draw a line. My husband, when he was getting name called, he was getting called by his first name, which he didn't like, right? So we had to create this rule that you can only call people by their actual name or something that they like being called. So if you like them when I call you Peanut or Sweetheart, that's okay. But if you don't like it when I call you Munchkin I can't call you that. I need to respect what you want to be called. So that's how we defined name calling. Don't call people anything other than their actual name or things that they want to be called. So we had to get really crystal clear on how that was defined before we tried to use punishment to decrease it. So you can call me mama. That's pretty much it. Now I have a lot of pet names for my kids that they like So I can call them by their first names or by an array of those pet names. But if they one day decide that they don't like those names, like Munchkin or Peanut, that sort of thing, then I'll stop doing that. I'll stop calling them that out of respect. And the same rule applies for all the relationships in the family. So here's how we tackled the name calling. If you call a name, you lose screen time the next day, period. That's it. So that's a punishment. Very targeted behavior, name calling, calling people by something they don't want to be called, something other than their name. If you do it, you lose screen time the next day, period. Okay, so I know this sounds too easy. I know it sounds like you're like, I've done that before. That doesn't work. Okay, so here's why it probably didn't work. If you said, okay, I'm going to take screen time away if you name call. And then when your kid was like taunting their sibling, they're like, oh, he's taunting her, she's taunting him. I'm taking away screen time tomorrow. Or I didn't like your tone. I'm taking away screen time tomorrow. Right? When you muddy the waters, it doesn't work. You have to be crystal clear. You're trying to decrease the behavior of name calling, which looks like A, B, and C. If it happens, you lose screen time tomorrow, the end. If you decide to muddy the waters with other sorts of demands and requests around being polite and tone of voice and all these other things didn't do their homework and to decide to take screen time away and use that punishment for other things, then yes, it's not gonna work. You have to be really crystal clear on your expectations and on the results. The other reason that it doesn't work often, and if you've tried this and it doesn't work, because you didn't follow through with the punishment, right? If they name called and you didn't actually take away screen time the next day, then it's not gonna work. You actually have to do the thing that you said you were gonna do. No one talks you out of it. Be crystal clear on how you define the target behavior. Use the punishment only for that behavior and follow through on the punishment or the thing that you're taking away. And it has to be for a designated period of time. It's just one day of screen time, not until I said so, right? Something vague like that. Whenever we're gonna be vague, it's gonna work less often. So I would say by starting that, we reduced name calling in our house by 90%. It still happens on occasion, and we will take away screen time on those occasions. But it hugely, hugely decreased the name calling. Now, keep in mind that as you're trying to start something like this, there will be a little bit of a learning curve, right? So, I mean, we came across some things like they were trying to spell it out, like trying to spell your S-T-U-P-I-D or trying to say it in Spanish, right? Those things are not okay. But in those instances, I gave them a free pass and said, we're revisiting the rule. No name calling includes saying it in Spanish or any other language. It also includes spelling it, right? So further defining what the expectation was. So, you get a free pass this time. I'm going to clarify the rule for you. You get clarity, but next time the punishment will stand. So I talk a lot about timeout in episode 113, simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 113. I've never given my kids a timeout, but I know a lot of people do it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about if you're going to do it, you might as well do it so that it works and it actually decreases behavior. Not against it, just not something that I have found useful most of the time because timeout is for younger children, and punishment rarely works for younger children. My favorite example of misused timeout was, hey, go clean up your toys. If you don't clean up your toys, you're going to timeout, and then the child goes to timeout. Well, you broke the rule there, which is, well, you violated the principle of punishment, which is, out as a punishment you're taking something away you're taking away attention and fun and any kind of opportunities to play but you're actually trying to increase the behavior you're trying to increase the behavior of cleaning up so you really should be using motivation or reward or reinforcement so that child who's standing in the corner I mean I would much rather be standing in the corner rather than cleaning up the toys I don't know about you so who's the fool here who wins this one That's what happens when we flip-flop those expectations. Punishment decreases behaviors, and rewards reinforcers increase behaviors. That's why whenever you're using a reward chart, which we talked about in episode 211, I explained that if you're using a reward chart, it's always used to get more of a behavior, never used to decrease a behavior. Rewards increase, punishment or taking things away decrease. So yeah, that has worked really well for name calling, especially because the child that was name calling was really, really motivated by the screen time, really, really loved the screen time, something that child didn't wanna lose, right? And that piece is important too. It has to be something that is really meaningful. So fast forward to more recently, we were having some hurting behavior, some like grabbing and squeezing with fingernails on the arm in times of frustration, in times of conflict leaving like fingernail marks. So we used punishment for this and it has worked incredibly well. So we got I got really specific and defined the behavior. The behavior is hurting, physically hurting another person. And we went through examples of what that might look like. I could have said like the target behavior was like grabbing and squeezing someone with their fingernails in the arm because that was what we were seeing most often but hurting behavior physically hurting another person sounded like pretty crystal clear like you know you're hurting someone or you're not hurting so i took ten dollars in one dollar bills and put it in a jar because the child who was doing most of the grabbing and squeezing is very motivated by one dollar bills For those of you who listen to my morning routine episode, you'll know that I was also struggling to get this child up in the morning. And at the beginning of the school year, I was giving a $1 bill for getting up, getting dressed, and putting your clothes in the hamper. And I'm happy to report back that I'm no longer doing that because I don't need to do it anymore. Rewards should really be to establish new behaviors. And once those behaviors are established, then you fade out the reward and they become part of the routine. But I digress. So I put them in the jar and I said, anytime you hurt, I'm gonna take a $1 out. At the end of the week, you can keep whatever's left. And that also decreased the behavior by at least 90%, maybe even like 98% in this instance. I have seen multiple occasions where the behavior has been inhibited, which means fists are clenched. I can see the child resisting hurting, resisting doing the thing. And that inhibition was directly related to this punishment of the possibility of losing the dollar. So you might be wondering, Danae, what's the long game on this? Are you going to be putting dollars in jars forever? No, that's not the plan. The goal of this is to practice inhibiting the behavior and using a better alternative especially because I know that this child has other alternatives even if they have a harder time accessing those alternative behaviors. This extra motivation to inhibit the behavior, to stop themselves from hitting, forces them into using those other skills that they have but aren't as easy to access. So they're getting more practice at it. They're getting better at using their other skills. Once they get more practice at using those other skills, they'll come easier and they should become the go-to. So again, you can't muddy the waters with this, right? If I decided to start saying, well, you threatened to hurt someone. You didn't actually hurt them, but you threatened to hurt them, so I'm gonna take a dollar away, right? If I changed the expectations, it wouldn't work as well. If I didn't actually take the dollars away, it wouldn't work as well. So what's the end game on this? Am I gonna be paying $10 a week to decrease a behavior forever? No, we're practicing behavioral inhibition. Which is an important skill for some kids and it's also a skill that some kids are just not capable of yet so if you have a kid who's like four or five and you try this and it doesn't work they might not be yet capable of inhibiting or holding back their behavior if their brain isn't ready to do that yet they need some more time these are the kids that you need to rewind and listen to the hitting episode again episode 250 these are the kids that you're just going to need to stay closer with and you're gonna to need to supervise much more closely because they're very much a work in progress. Now, the fact that this worked, I followed the simple rules, crystal clear target behavior, clear valuable punishment, something that child really wants, really cares about, and actually following through on it, removing it when the behavior happens. Because that worked really quickly in both of these instances, it tells me that my kids are capable of inhibiting their behaviors so we can use this sort of thing. Does it mean that they're capable of inhibiting their behaviors all the time? No, for sure not. I'm mostly capable of inhibiting my challenging behaviors most of the time, but when I'm I'm irritable, when it's that time of the month, like things happen and it's harder for me to inhibit it and to hold back the behaviors that I don't want to exhibit. So not every day is created equal. There are gonna be some days that are a lot harder But in general, I think we can use some forms of punishment to decrease really targeted behaviors, especially when it comes to escalation behaviors like this. Because what I've seen from my kids as we've been able to decrease these escalation behaviors is that they've been able to bicker and argue and resolve their challenges much more easily. When there was name calling or when there was hurting and they had a small argument, things escalated quickly. now that I've been able to decrease those challenging behaviors, the bickering and arguing doesn't last as long. kind of comes and goes without much fanfare. And if you have kids that naturally inhibit these challenging behaviors, you might already see that with their bickering and arguing. You might rarely see it escalate. If you have kids like that, you're really lucky. If you don't have kids like that, you haven't done anything wrong either. So, so at the end of the day, what I want you to take away from this is not all punishment, not all rewards are bad or, or are damaging. I don't think it's something that we should totally shy away from, but I also don't think it should be our default by any means. Using your relationship with your child, being present with your child, utilizing natural connected consequences, it goes so far. It feels good as a parent but it also feels good as a kid to live in a house like that. We are all a work in progress, so if this resonated with you today, great. If it didn't, leave it behind. Thanks so much for tuning in.